0: Thank you, Keith. You know, sometimes there are uh, places of ministry of service to the kingdom where uh, there's a lot of uh, publicity, very public what they do. And uh, they're, they're recognized for that uh, work that they do. And then there are other types of ministry that are very, very uh, pri- not private, but, but they're just not, not much in the public eye. And I think Bible translation probably is one of those that probably is done in obscure places that we don't really know apart from looking at a map. And to do that for 40-plus years, faithfulness, discipline to do that, you know, there's something very, very significant about that kind of kingdom ministry. Thank you, Bars, for being so faithful for this long season, blessed season of fruitful ministry and faithful ministry. So bless you for what you're doing. And uh, VBS people, this is great. And I'm wondering who gets the props? I mean, you want to take those home and put them in your uh, family room, don't you, or in your garage and use those for a a few weeks? That is really, really great. Well, we're continuing a a series this summer entitled Jesus Encounters. And so uh, here's my question this morning. Have you ever heard the expression, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space? Who would make a statement like that? If you're not living on the edge... You're taking up too much space. Well, Frank Farley is a psychologist, and he spent 30 years researching this personality type. And he came to the conclusion that such a person is not a type A, nor is he or she a type B, but rather he calls these people type T personalities. These are thrill-seeking personalities. And then he goes on to describe them. These are people who are drawn to high-risk situations and behaviors. These are people who are easily bored and crave constant stimulation. These are people who love extreme sports, dangerous activities, mountain climbing, parasailing, hang gliding, base jumping, going to church without a mask. Okay, lighten up, lighten up but these are people who live life at full throttle. Now, there may be a few type T personalities in here this morning, but I dare say that there's a lot of type F personalities in this room. Fearful personalities. I say that for two reasons. First of all, the most frequently repeated instruction from God in the Bible is one simple command, fear not. It is uh, spoken a total of 366 times in the Bible, one for each day of the year, including leap year. So the second reason why I say that is because there is a website uh, called phobialist.com, And it has identified 530 phobias, irrational fears that paralyze people. Now, I've discovered that most Christ followers live with a mixture of fear and faith. And so... As we move into this topic today in Matthew chapter 14, I want us to identify different types of faith that are used in the Bible. There are four that I see, and we're going to put them on the screen. First of all, in the epistle of Jude, uh, Jude exhorts the people to, to contend for the faith, the faith that has been delivered up once for all. So here the faith refers to the content of our belief system, our doctrines. And here it is called the faith. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul talks about a saving faith. It's that faith that that comes. It's a simple, but it's a very significant trust that we place in the Lord Jesus Christ that gives us His grace or if you prefer, it is His grace that gives us the faith. We're not going to get into that kind of a debate today, but it is a very real debate, but we're talking about saving faith. Thirdly, there is the spiritual gift of faith. That is the supernatural ability to trust God and to inspire others in the faith. Uh, This is a person Who is able to see what God wants done, is able to claim the promises of God and to apply them to a situation so that the kingdom of God is expanded and God gets great glory. And then finally, faith, as we see in our text for today, Matthew 14. In this story, faith is a muscle. It is a spiritual muscle that needs to be exercised. And this faith muscle is a very important ingredient in our spiritual life, growth, and uh, formation. So as I said, most Christ followers live with a mixture of faith and fear. So we're going to see how those two concepts act out in the life of the disciples in Matthew 14. And as we go through this text today, we're going to discover that there's probably four truths that we want to identify that can be helpful to us as we understand the interaction of these. First of all, we begin in verses 13 through 21 by way of context. And of course, that is what I would consider to be a a faith-expanding experience because it is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, as as, uh, uh, Don has mentioned earlier. And, of course, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago in great detail. And so the idea is this. A boy has a a small lunch, five loaves and two fish, and out of that small bag lunch, Jesus multiplies it so that 5,000 men plus women and children are fed. And after everyone had ate all that they wanted, the disciples gather up 12 baskets of leftovers. The disciples, I believe we can presume, watched Jesus as he blessed those loaves and fish and they saw it multiply. And at the end of the day, they gathered up these 12 baskets of leftovers. What a faith-expanding experience for these disciples and for us. So, we come to verses 22 through 24. This is what I would call a normal life experience. So, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and to go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. I call this a a normal life experience because it describes a lot of what life is like for us. Now, the geography uh, of the Sea of Galilee made for a very stormy lake. And so we're going to uh, uh, look at the screen. We're going to see a little bit of the geography of this area. The the Sea of Galilee is about 680 feet below sea level. The hills are about 2,000 feet above sea level. And so at the top of the hill, you have dry, cooler air. And along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, you have very hot, humid, semi-tropical air. And when these two air masses meet, it creates an awful lot of wind that funnels down onto the lake. And so there was—it was, uh, it was a, a lake that was prone to very uh, quickly developing and violent storms. <laughs> you just can't make that stuff up, can you? That's as aptly as good as it gets. I think we could just give the benediction and go home, don't we? I mean, what more do we have to do? So the Sea of Galilee is is a shallow lake, no more than 200 feet at its uh, greatest depth. And so as the wind would come down through those hills, it would hit the lake. And so very quickly, uh, these storms would arise. And so that's what's happening here in this situation. Uh, the, the, The wind is against them as they're rowing across the lake. Now, these are fishermen who knew that lake. Some of them were professional fishermen. And so they had been against the wind now for a number of hours. We're told that it's between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. So they had been out there probably since the the previous evening. Uh, uh, John says that they were three or four miles from shore. So they had worked really, really hard. I like what Mark says in his gospel. He said that they were straining. At the oars, straining. You know, such a vivid picture of what life can be like for us. They were against the wind. The progress is slow and straining. Sometimes, do we not feel that way about life? It's just hard. And we're having to lean into it, it's a strain. Alice in Wonderland, great little line in the book, she said this, I have to run real fast just to stay in the same place. Isn't that true of us? You know, sometimes life is so hard that we, as we lean into it, and as soon as we let up just for a moment, all progress is lost and we regress. I've had those moments, and maybe you're having one of those moments today. These guys are worn out. They're exhausted. And, of course, what happens is that Jesus enters into their story, and we know how that's going to unfold. Let's just stop there for a moment. Have you permitted Jesus to be a part of your story? And if not, why not? Why would you not permit Jesus to be a part of your story? And if he's not part of your story, the question is this, how's it going? How's it going without Jesus? I've known him long enough to know that my story is better with Jesus than without Jesus. And so we come to verses 25 and 26. It's what I call a fear-expanding experience. And so during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. So they were terrified, shaken to their core. Now, it's interesting because they were not frightened by the wind or the waves and the storm on the lake. You see, they had been on the lake and they knew that this is what the lake was like. But to see someone walking on the water towards them, that truly was terrifying. And they assumed that it was a ghost. It could not be Jesus. Now, this is really significant as the story that Don told earlier. It was less than 24 hours ago that Jesus had fed the 5,000. And these disciples had seen the care, protection, the power of Jesus in performing a miracle to feed all of them. And yet somehow the memory of that experience did not translate into their situation. They just could not conceive that the Jesus who had performed this great miracle was the same Jesus that could perform a miracle in coming to them. In fact, Mark's gospel adds this. They did not understand the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And so that brings me to the first truth about the interaction of faith and fear. Fear distorts reality. I mean, it couldn't be Jesus. It, It was a ghost because Jesus doesn't do things like that. It reminds me of the story of the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan. They were there for 40 days, and they they saw the, the wonderful orchards and the vineyards and the crops. And 10 of them brought back a report, and they said, it is wonderful. Everything there is large, including the people. There are giants in the land. Now, what is happening is that these 10 spies are exaggerating, and they are distorting the picture. Fear does that. Now, some fear is real because we know that there are real dangers in our world. But much of the fear that we deal with is irrational, as evidenced by 530 phobias. Have you noticed that that people can look at the same data and draw different conclusions? It's amazing. It's amazing. Because, you see, we all have filters through which we interpret data. And when you put on a a, a filter of fear, it impacts what we see. Fearful people see giants. Faith people are giants. Fearful people see obstacles. Faith people see opportunities. Fearful people uh, discourage others. Faith people inspire others. The Hebrew soldiers, they looked at Goliath taunting the Hebrew army, and they said, he is so big, we could never kill him. David looks at Goliath, and he says, he's so big, I can't miss hitting him. Entirely different perspective. Perspective. Because one is based on faith and the other is based upon fear. You see, there are people today, and I dare say there are some here, that you have, have looked at God through the lens of your situation, your circumstances, and your personality. And as a result of seeing God through your filter, what happens is that you end up with a distorted view of who God really is. There are other people who look at their circumstances through the perspective of God. And they see their situation much differently because, you see, the lens, the filter, is all crucial. Several years ago, Zach Williams wrote a song titled, Fear is a Liar. It is. Fear is a liar. It distorts reality. Several decades ago, Disney uh, produced a great, great family film, film entitled Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Great film. You know what? Fearful people have written a sequel to that one. It's called Honey, I Shrunk God. I Shrunk God. Fear distorts reality. And if you're a person who has been driven by fear, chances are that your perspective is not accurate. It's being influenced by your fear, and you need to acknowledge that just quite possibly your perception isn't as accurate and as objective as you'd like to think that it is. So we continue, verses 27 to 29. It's part of this faith-expanding experience. And Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Jesus got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. So this faith-expanding experience begins with Jesus reassuring the disciples. He said, Do not be afraid. In fact, in the Greek language, it says, Stop it. Stop being afraid. I am here. And who am I? I am your Savior. I am the Lord. I am the commander of the wind and the waves. It is I who has created this beautiful topography. I can handle it. And so Peter hears that. And so he says, Okay, Jesus, if it's really you... Tell me to come to you on the water. Now, that word if, it's a conditional word, and I want to make it very clear what Peter is not uncertain about. He is not uncertain as to the identity of the person walking on the water. He knows it is Jesus. But what Peter is uncertain about is whether or not Jesus wants Peter to join Jesus on the water. That's what he's asking. Lord, do you want me to come to you on the water? He says, tell me, Jesus, do you want me to come? He didn't ask, Lord, promise me I won't sink. Just command me, and I will obey. So here's the second truth about the interaction of faith and fear. Faith risks are the result of obedience. This was not a foolish impulse by Peter but rather it was an obedient response to the one he trusted with his life. So that tells us that not everything that is risky is of faith. Larry Osborne is a pastor of an evangelical free church in Southern California, and he really gives some great insight into his own life and also this story. We're going to put it on the screen so you can follow along. It's a lengthy quote, but it's really crucial. This is what Larry writes. Early on in my walk with God, I confused faith with risk. I thought they were nearly synonymous. Thus, the greater the risk, the greater the amount of faith I thought I was exercising. That led me to go way out onto some dangerous limbs in the presumption that God would rescue me as long as I'd crawl out there in faith, and my goal was to bring him glory. But that was goofy thinking. It led to some terrible decisions. And it caused me to blame God for things that had nothing to do with his lack of protection and everything to do with my own stupidity and presumption. The greater the risk, the greater the amount of faith I thought I was exercising. I wish I had known that faith is primarily about obedience, not risk. Boy, that's an important distinction to make, isn't it? And so when Jesus said, Peter, come, Peter, you just got to imagine what this was like, taking one leg, swinging it over that small little wooden boat, and as he puts his foot down on this liquid H2O, he finds that it will support him. What would that be like? And then the other foot. You know, Peter had grown up on this lake. As a boy, he had probably taken swimming lessons in this lake. He had fished it with his dad his entire life. He had regularly dove to the depths of that lake to untangle the fishing nets. But that morning as he put his foot into that water and found that it supported him, he was experiencing that lake and life on a whole new plane. But it was the result of obedience to the command of Christ, come. And so... We go from a faith-expanding experience in verses 30 to 32 to a fear-expanding experience. This story actually is kind of like an accordion. You've got some expansion and some contractions. And so in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, isn't that interesting? Who sees the wind? You know, we can see the effects of the wind, but no one ever sees the wind. But Peter saw it then. He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? There's something so incredibly significant in the fact that Peter saw the wind. Fearful people see the what-ifs, do they not? They see all the possibilities of failure. And because they see the what-ifs, they have a tendency to hang back because of that fear. But I want you to know that faith people also see the unseen. But they see the unseen God. There's a vast difference between seeing the what-ifs and seeing the unseen God who promises to be with us. And so as Peter got out of the boat It's interesting that when he was in the boat, he was not afraid of the wind or the waves. And now he's out of the boat, and it's the same wind, the same waves, and the same lake. And yet now, Peter is terrified. And what has changed? Well, he no longer has the boat. And that's important for us to understand that that boat had represented his security. And as long as he was in the security of that boat, the wind and the waves weren't bothersome. But now, when he's not in the security of the boat more, and he's walking on the water, somehow now those waves and that wind, it looks different, it feels different. And as a result of that, he is terrified. And so it leads me to the third truth about the interaction of faith and fear. The faith walk will reveal new fears that need to be Overcome. You see, because as we respond to the call of God in our lives, that's going to put us in new and unusual situations. And that's going to cause us to have to learn afresh and anew what it means to trust Jesus in this situation. I don't have the boat any longer, but I still have Jesus. But I have to learn how to trust Him in this situation when the boat is not there for me. You know, our world has changed so much in the last six months, has it not? I mean, eight months ago, would we have thought that we would be living like this with COVID? I mean, our routine, our finances, our conversation, our entertainment, our church involvement, uh, seeing our own family, having family vacations, all of that has been taken from us or it's been adjusted significantly caution, anxiety, and fear has increased a hundredfold. And to be real candid with you, as we think about life today, it's so different. I kind of feel as though I'm having a Peter experience on the water. Just never had anything like this before. And we can find ourselves overwhelmed by the waves the, the fear of the unknown. It is so tempting for us to, to let our eyes drift towards all the, the what-ifs. And I tell you what, the, the, the social media and the news is just filled with the what-ifs, is it not? I mean, it is, it, it is a, a fearful person's uh, delight to be able to say, here is what could be happening in the next months. Frankly, we don't know. And we need to work really hard, be really disciplined to not let our eyes shift to the what-ifs, to be get consumed by the waves and to take our eyes off the Lord Jesus. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know this. Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. It is I. It is I. We need that today. And so, of course, Jesus rebukes Peter for his lack of faith. And so I used to spend a lot of time focusing upon Peter's failure, his lack of faith. But I realized that um, I was too tough on Peter. Because it's interesting that there's so much study upon why Peter looked at the waves. But, but why is it that, that Peter is rebuked for looking at the waves when we've got 11 guys who were in the boat who did nothing? You realize that? One walked and 11 watch. There's one participant and 11 spectators, and yet we, we criticize the one and we give the other 11 guys a free pass. that just not ought to be. Here's how one man said it. The worst failure is not to to sink in the waves. The worst failure is to never get out of the boat. You know, it's risky to get out of the boat. But it's also risky to stay in the boat. Because there we're risking stagnation. And even disobedience. So here's the fourth truth that comes out of this story today. There are some who will choose security because they live in fear. You see, that boat represents safety and security. it's what's comfortable. and as a result of it, there are some who said, "I, I just can't get out of the boat. I need to stay here." And they're choosing security because fear is a driving force of their lives. I don't want that for you, and I don't want it for me. I want us to be able to hear the voice of Jesus and to respond in obedience to him. So at the end of the day, I don't think Peter was a type T personality. He really wasn't a thrill seeker. I do believe that Peter realized that Jesus wasn't in the boat, And Jesus was here in the water. And at the end of the day, Peter said, I want to be with him. I want to be out there with him. I don't want to stay here. I want to be with Jesus. And as a result of that, he said, Jesus, tell me to come and I'll obey. So let's pray together. I ask you today if fear could be a stronghold in your life. Is it possible that your fear has hindered the voice of Jesus speaking to you? Is it possible? that fear is keeping you in the boat when Jesus really wants you to step out and learn what it means to walk with him outside of your comfort zone. You know, we all have our security boats. I've got mine, and you probably know what yours is as well. Would you be willing today to tell Jesus that you are sorry that his voice has been interpreted through the filter of fear? And would you change that today by the power of the Spirit? Acknowledge it, confess it, and thank him that he will start right now to give you a new mind and a new heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for this story. The story of Peter, which for many of us, Lord, is our story as well. Lord, thank you that in the midst of this great story, we hear the words of Jesus that I am the commander of the Armies of God. I am commander of the wind and the waves. You are the sovereign creator of the entire universe. You you know everything. And, Lord, it says that you even know the very hairs on our head. They are numbered. Lord, you are sovereign, but you are intimately familiar with my life and my situation. And, Lord, there are some today who are going through fearful times And God, I ask that today you would push through so they would hear this word from you. Stop being afraid. I am here. I am for you. I am with you. You can trust me. Lord, we choose to do that this day. Thank you for your wonderful presence with us. Lord, may we sense it today, but Lord, as we push into the work of this next week, Lord, may we be we reminded that your presence, your power is with us and for us. And so, Lord, dismiss us with your blessing. We thank you for a good day being with your people. Lord, thanks for the rain that's bringing much-needed moisture. Thanks even for the the timing of thunder to be reminded that you are alive. You speak. You know us. Lord, you want to be a part of our lives. And so, God, we bless you and thank you for how you have given so much to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.